Who, what, what city in the world do you think is the baddest city in the world or the most evil in the entire world? Go ahead. Give your opinion to the person who may be beside you. The baddest city, the most evil city in the world. Okay. So lots of, lots of good commotion, but uh, perhaps today you, you said the, the, the city of, of Tijuana. And, and, and did you know that according to census out of 2021, um, there were the most homicides in the world out of the city of Tijuana? Or maybe you said India, to which you would be correct in that it is the highest grossing in sex trafficking. Perhaps you said Port Moresby, Papua New Guinea, which actually has a very high kidnap and abduction rate in the world today. You could have went to the Netherlands. We could have talked about prostitution, which, by the way, we are going to discuss in a moment. So parents, I'm giving you a heads up and a warning. Or maybe you said, you know, to bring it a little bit more close to home, you said Las Vegas, right? I remember going to Las Vegas myself, and I, I kind of had to walk around with blinders on. <laughs> like, uh, there were moments where I'm in Vegas, and I'm like, dear Lord, I can't believe that this is what I'm seeing as you walk in particular parts of the city or you're just walking on the street and there's these pornographic cards all over the floor. It's like, uh, Lisa could not tell me to keep my eyes which way. Like I was getting discombobulated. Like it was, it was nuts. But like you've got your opinion as to what the baddest or the most evil city would be. Now, again, I'm going to give this quick disclaimer because I'm about to, I'm going to talk to us about some things that come in our text. We cannot ignore this. It is here. And so parents, there may be some explaining to do, but please know I'm not doing anything too graphic with this but there could be explanation just so that parents are aware. So you can make your your cue and your move as we we go. So I'm going to read the text to you. If you have your Bibles today, um, great. If not, I'm going to have these words on the screen for you. We're going into a really interesting text right now, okay? So let me make this thing. If you're brand new to our church, or you're maybe like, you're, you're new to this faith thing, or you're like, you have no clue about faith, and you're like, Dear goodness, what are these people doing? It's, it's in the Bible. Like, it's just something that we're going through. And this is the series that we're in. But uh, the title of, of this section that we're about to read in my Bible reads The Great Prostitute. Uh, some other older translations will read The Great Whore or The Great Harlot. This is language that you don't really hear a whole lot in churches, right? <laughs> but it's here, and it's something that we want to look at. And so let me read this for you. It says, Now, one of the seven angels who had poured out the seven bowls came over and spoke to me, come with me, he said, and I will show you the judgment that is going to come on the great prostitute who rules over many waters. The kings of the world have committed adultery with her, and the people who belong to this world have been made drunk by the wine of her immorality. So the angel took me in the spirit into the wilderness, and and there I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, and that beast had seven heads and ten horns, and blasphemies against God were written all over it. The woman wore purple and scarlet clothing and beautiful jewelry made of gold and precious gems and pearls, and in her hand she held a gold globlet full of obscenities and the impurities of her immorality. A mysterious name was written on her forehead, Babylon the Great, somebody say Babylon, the mother of all prostitutes and obscenities in this world. And I could see that she was drunk, drunk with the blood of God's holy people who were witnesses for Jesus. And I stared at her in complete amazement. The angel said, well, why are you so amazed? I'll tell you the mystery of this woman and of the beast with the seven heads and the ten horns on which she sits. The beast you saw once was once alive, but it isn't now. 
and yet he will soon come up out of the bottomless pit and go to eternal destruction. And the people who belong to this world, whose names were not written in the book of life before the world was made, will be amazed at the reappearance of this beast who had died. And this is probably one of the most important verses for our text today, and it says this, this calls for a mind with understanding. The seven heads of the beast represent the seven hills where the, woman, where the woman rules. They also represent seven kings. Five kings have already fallen. The sixth king now reigns, and the seventh is yet to come, but his reign will be brief. And the scarlet beast that was but is no longer is the eighth king, and he is like the other seven, and he too is headed for destruction. The ten horns of the beast are ten kings who have not yet risen to power, and they will be appointed in their kingdoms for one brief moment to reign with the beast, and they will all agree to give him with their power and their authority. Who's confused so far? Anybody like, ah, what's going on? Because that's where I'm kind of at. But listen to this. Together, all of these people, kings, beasts, scarlet woman, prostitute, all of it, they're going to go to battle. And they're going to go against the lamb. The lamb represents Jesus. But I want us to see this. It says that the lamb will defeat them. Jesus wins. Because he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings. And his called and chosen and faithful ones will be with him. Then the story gets crazier. Then the angel said to me, The waters where the prostitute is ruling represent masses of people from every nation and language, all of us. The scarlet beast and his ten horns, those kings, all hate this great prostitute. And so they will strip her naked, eat her flesh, and burn her remains with fire. For God has put a plan into their minds, a plan that will carry out his purposes. They will agree to give their authority to the scarlet beast, and so the words of God will be fulfilled. And this woman you saw in your vision represents the great city, Babylon, that rules over the kings of the world. Wow. Are you excited for this one? Uh, verse 9 says, this calls for a mind with understanding. So will you pray with me one more time because we need help. Father, we ask what you've told us to do. Give us a mind with understanding today to get through all the minutiae, but to hear the word that you have to say to us today. So help us, I pray. I ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, come on, everybody said. Uh, this morning, I would like to speak to us uh, from the subject line of, of in bed with Babylon. Or perhaps I should ask it as a question. Are you in bed with Babylon? So as we look at this text today and what we are seeing, I want to set it up because it's actually quite beautiful and it's poetic in what we are seeing. Chapter 17 is in contrast to chapter 21, to which Pastor Tyson is going to teach us that in a couple of weeks. But we pit these two chapters against each other because on one hand, here in chapter 17, we have got the kingdom of this world. We've got this scarlet beast. We've got this great prostitute who is Babylon. And the idea is that it contrasts over here with chapter 21, and it's a picture of what it is supposed to be, the kingdom of God and the bride of Jesus Christ, which is his church. And so what we are seeing over here is nice family, marriage, setup, and over here we got prostitution. How many of you see that those are two different things? 
Okay? So we're seeing what is taking place here. But it is really beautiful in what it is talking to us about. We see that this is the kingdom of this world, chapter 17, versus the kingdom of God in chapter 21. And it ultimately wraps itself around this idea of worship. Here's the question. Who are you worshiping? Everybody who can hear me right now, both in the room and online, you worship something. You have given your life to something. What are you worshiping? And so this is that great wrestle. This is that great tension that we're taking a look at as we come to this text today. And we're introduced to this great prostitute, the harlot. And it is a reference to this city called Babylon. And I understand that this is strong language because this is stuff we just don't talk about from the stages in most of our churches, but it is here for us today and we cannot ignore it. So to do this, I'd like to take us on a history lesson of Babylon. Why in this chapter are, is Babylon referred to as this great prostitute? And why is she riding a scarlet beast? And what does all this mean? We're going to try to explain that for you today. So Babylon was probably the most famous of cities in ancient Mesopotamia. It sat on the Euphrates and the Tigris River. And it was really important because the fortification of this city was fantastic. It is shown that in, in, in history books that the kings of the city of Babylon, they would make their city walls so thick that they would have four or two different four-horse chariots that could pass each other up on the city wall alone before you even got into the heart of where the people lived. I mean, they fortified themselves. They were strong. They were dominant. This would be what is known as modern-day Iraq today. And Babylon actually has the name, and its definition means the, the gate of the gods. And we're introduced many times to, to Babylon in Scripture. In fact, I'm going to take us back to like the beginning of the whole book in Genesis, where it reads this in Genesis 11. It says, At one time, all the people of the world spoke the same language, and they used the same words. And as the people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia. The text that I'm reading from is this ancient story from the Tower of Babel. Have you heard of this before? If you haven't, take a look in, in Genesis chapter 11. But the Tower of Babel, this idea that the people thought that they wanted to make themselves great. They wanted to be famous. They wanted to be known. And so they decided to erect this this tower so that they could reach to the heavens, that they could be like God. The text will show us that they wanted to be famous. They wanted to be what was worshiped and praised. And so this is what happened. God looks at them. And as they congregate together to do this, and he's like, uh -uh, you're not doing that at all. And actually Tower of Babel, Babel's name is this. It means confusion. Because God decided to, at that point, step into the world and say, I'm going to give you all unique languages so that you, cannot you can't understand each other. And that's how humankind has been since the time. Have you ever found it interesting that you can't really learn everybody's language or you don't know what everybody's saying? It was right here where God was like, okay, enough is enough. And he split them. But this started in the place called Babylon. Babylon was an impressive city. As I alluded to with the cities and its walls, the, the learning culture, the political and the military strength was out of this world. They also introduced false temples and, and false gods, and their worship was off point at that stage. Another thing that they were known for really well was this thing called sexual immorality. Perhaps you've heard of this, but I mean, it ran rampant in Babylon, and it was what they started to show to the other peoples that are around them. 
their worship was tainted, obviously, and that became an issue of discipleship for them. Perhaps you've heard of this story to talk a little bit more about Babylon uh, of Jonah. Jonah was swallowed by this big fish. Uh, if you haven't heard this story, it's another fantastic one. But God was what told Jonah to go to Nineveh, and Nineveh happens to be the, the, the bad cousin to the Babylonians. So they're northern kingdom, Babylon is the southern kingdom, but they're cousins. Jonah, when he was told to go to, uh, to Nineveh, was like, God, no way, not happening. And why was Jonah's position like that? Because he knew the brutality of the Ninevites. He knew what they were all about. And I'm got, I got to tell you, they were a mean people. In fact, you could go check out how mean they, they were by looking at Nahum chapter 3. But these were bad people. And God knew that he needed Jonah to go tell him about his grace and his goodness. And Jonah's like, eh-eh, not happening. And eventually, he's swallowed by this fish, spat out by this fish. And he goes to Nineveh, and he does his thing. But he did not want to go because the evil bad cousin was actually really evil, and he didn't want God to demonstrate his mercy towards them. The story gets better and better when it comes to Babylon and its symbolic nature to the great prostitute, uh, because we talk about, there's another fantastic book in the Bible, is Hosea, and Hosea happened to be this voice of God. He spoke for God, and God decided to tell Hosea to do a, a silly little thing one day. He said this, go marry a prostitute. Imagine if God showed up to you and was like, go ahead, it's okay. You know, go do this. He asks this guy, this man of God, go marry a prostitute. Whoa, okay, this is getting interesting now. I like this. They have children. They have weird names because of the meaning of what God is trying to do. But Hosea does it. And why would God ask Hosea to go marry a prostitute? And it is for this reason. It was a symbolic moment of Israel's unfaithfulness to God, especially in idolatry. God looked at his nation and he said, you're like prostitutes. You have given yourself away to Babylon, literal and non-literal. But you have sold yourself to all of these other people, to all of these other gods. And he asked Hosea to do this one thing because he was so disturbed and he was tired. God was saying, listen, folks, I need you to wake up. I need you to quit living this idolatrous life. I need you, Israel, his people, to quit being prostitutes. How many of you think that that's a pretty serious thing for God to kind of communicate to us? I mean, it's a big deal. The story would go on where God finally said, enough is enough, and he calls up good old King Nebuchadnezzar, and guess who he was the king of? Babylon. He goes into Israel and he exiles all of God's people over to Babylon where they had to live for 70 years under exile. And it was there where good old King Neb, he erects this statue of himself all in gold and he asks everybody to fall down and worship. And we begin to see in the story of Revelation and the great prostitute what God is trying to communicate. Who are you worshiping? What have you bowed yourself to when it comes to Babylon and its ways and its style and the things that it calls and demands of you? Bruce Metzger says that Babylon is an allegory, allegorical of the idolatry that any nation commits when it elevates material abundance, military prowess, technological sophistication, imperial grandeur, racial pride, and any other glorification of the creature 
over the Creator. Does anybody know a modern-day Babylon? <laughs> because when you look at this, it's like hard to ignore that Babylon exists today in our world. Is this not, though, humanity's lifelong quest? Remember, chapter 17 pits itself against chapter 21. The kingdom of God will collide with the kingdom of this world. And God is saying, who are you going to worship? Who will you belong to? Will it be God? Or can I ask one more time, are you in bed with Babylon today? So let's take a look at this. Chapter 17, we are introduced to some pretty interesting imagery where this great prostitute shows up. Now, let's talk about prostitution for a second. Because prostitution, we all know what it's about. We've all heard it. We know the innuendos around it. We know it. But for some reason, God wants to identify the prostitution to us as well. And we know this about prostitution. And in the context of this great prostitute, this is going to be someone who is going to lure us someone who is going to seduce you, somebody who is going to lull you to sleep, so much so that you begin to cheat on God. This prostitute Babylon, as we have seen in the text, verses 1 to 15, rules over many waters, it said. The waters represent people, you and I. And it also said that the waters represent every nation under this, under this earth's banner. So every tribe, nation, language is, is subjected to what Babylon can bring. And many people have committed adultery with her. So we're introduced to this scarlet beast. And this scarlet beast is really not a new, new friend to us today. We, we learned about this beast in chapter 13. This beast has seven heads and ten horns. And again, do not get lost in the imagery of it. In fact, I posted an image on my social media this week, and it was really quiet. I didn't really get a lot of chatter on it because uh, of the picture I put up, and rightfully so. Don't get lost in the picture. See the numbers because they're symbols. Seven, ten, what they represent in the book of Revelation is completeness, authority, and strength. It goes to show us that she's wearing purple. She's got jewelry all around her. She's adorned. And what is happening is that, we, again, we have that imposter syndrome. Purple was a sign of royalty. It was something. So we've got this imposter prostitute trying to be like God and kind of comes. It says that she's got this gold goblet held in her hand. Gold is a sign of royalty as well. But inside of that goblet is full of obscenities and impurity. And she pours that out upon the nations of this earth. But then we're shown something really interesting about this prostitute. It says that there's a mystery wrapped around her. And it says this actually about who she is. It said that this is Babylon the Great, and she is the mother of all prostitutes. What is being said here is that this is the mother of more Babylons. This is going to keep happening over and over. Why? Because there's an enemy at play and there is going to be more and more Babylons that will present themselves in our world. N.T. Wright says this about this scene. He says that John is saying that the outer appearance of the whore is magnificent, but the inner reality is disgusting, stomach-churning filth. This is a big deal because we all know what prostitutes do, and yet here we are presented with, with Babylon. Our text shows us that John is stunned. Anybody else stunned? with some of the things that you're seeing and hearing today. But he, he reports that he stands and he stares in complete amazement. 
to make this one point, Babylon is pretty flashy. This world is going to entice you. It is going to lure you. It's going to do what it's got to do to get you off of your worship with God. We learn about these seven heads of this beast, which is, again, interesting because it more represents completeness and strength. And, but for the first century church who were reading the words of John, as he sat in an island cell on the island of Patmos, I mean, as he's writing, he talks about these, these seven heads and then it talks about seven hills. Did you know, actually, around Patmos on the coastline, there were literally seven hills, seven mountains. So when the people were hearing John talk about this, the seven heads and the seven hills, guess who they thought about? Rome. That was their Babylon. But he didn't call it Rome. He calls them Babylon. And they make this connection there. But I don't want you to get lost too much in that. Because the story goes on, it says, well, there's 10 horns, which represents these 10 kings. So who are these kings over here in the seven? Who are these 10? And how does it play out in the history of this world? Truth be told, I don't know, and I'm not here to explain that to us today. Fair enough? Okay, I just don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to get quoted uh, poorly or whatever. But the, the point that I have to take us to is all of these things, people, whoever, imperial powers, it says that they all want to go to battle. And they want to go to battle with the Lamb. And the best part about this whole story to me, in all of its wondering and its imagery, is it says to us today that the Lamb will defeat them. Evil does not stand a chance. Does evil have its moment in Babylon where we live right now? Yes, it does. But guess what? Evil is done because Jesus is one. So we have to get to that part. But the interesting part about this story as well is that even when we know that Jesus defeats them, it says that this beast and its kings, then they turn on the great prostitute and they try to destroy her. That was a weird story, I'm going to admit. But all I'm about to say to us today is this, is that evil will always turn on itself and it cannot win. It just can't win because the institution of God and his kingdom is coming into this world and you will always see the usurping. Evil will always turn on itself. So what is this vision all about? Daryl Johnson would say that the vision's innermost truth is this. Is it not that Babylon is the mother of all Babylons? That Rome is but one temporal embodiment of Babylon-ness. There were others before Rome. The ones before Rome fell. And all those after Rome, they will fall. Folks, I want to land this on this thought today, but Rome itself was not the problem. Victoria is not the problem. Las Vegas is not the problem. Tijuana is not the problem. But this is the problem. Babylon-ness, which got a hold of Rome, and has gotten a part of all of our cities in this world, that is the problem. That we have an enemy who is running around. Babylon-ness is a real thing. It happened to the people of God in Jerusalem, which is why he told Hosea to marry a prostitute, because the Babylon-ness of that culture seeped in. And guess what? It's happened in every city's existence since that moment as well. We are no different, but folks, hear me. Victoria is not a bad place. Why do I know this? 
because God created people and God loves people and he loves Victoria. But do we have a little bit of Babylon in Victoria? You better believe it. And then I ask the question again, are you in bed with Babylon? How many of you are excited you came to church today? (laughs) I love it. Oh man, truth shooting sometimes. Okay, uh, how do I know then if um, Babylon has seeped into me? That's the question I think that we have to look at today. How do I know if I've got Babylonness in me? So I'm going to propose a couple of things, and I'll get you to take your own inventory as to who you are. But number one is that you have removed God from the center of your life. He has no place there. Um, You keep him out of the equation until that is disaster strikes. And then we pray, God help me which is good that you do that. But perhaps you're here in the room today or you're online and you've just, you've removed God from the center. Babylonness could be there. Number two, seduction and sensuality. Several references here, but the products are sold by sex appeal in this world. I'm gonna just throw out a couple of things where I think Babylonness has infiltrated the church and, and God's people. I think like when we look at it, um, some of the music that you are listening to, that I can listen to, this is a big deal, right? It's like, well, I'm just listening to it because it's got a good, it's got a good tune. And I don't care about the lyric. I mean, the lyric is talking about everything that God has nothing to do with. And you're like, it's not affecting me. Spoiler alert. Yes, it is. Wake up, right? And P.S. I love you, okay? So don't think I'm angry here. But that's important. Some of the TV that, and movies that we are watching today are full of Babylon-ness. And we think that it's okay. I'm an adult. I got this thing. And we have no clue that it, she has seeped in to our bodies and has seduced us and lulled us to sleep that we think that we are not being touched. But I'm here to tell you that your allegiance has shifted from the kingdom of God to the kingdom of the world. And perhaps you have been seduced in this respect. I see that Babylonness could be present when oppression and injustice is around. Does anybody see injustice in this world? Man, Babylon has made its way into what we're doing and what we're seeing. How many Babylons are built on the back of slaves and the injustices of this world? And God is saying, I want my kingdom to stand up and say no, and make a change in this world. Number four, that Babylonness will always rise, but it will always fall. As we've learned, Babylon will fall because Jesus is one, and he will see his church through. But they also will see self-inflicted wounds because they turn on themselves in evil. And I know that revolt will happen in this. Number five, violence and destruction. Have you noticed that we have a constant preparation for war in our mentality in our world? We think that we're going to solve conflicts with our weapons as if that will help. And we all claim that it's because of security and freedom. The reality is Jesus didn't come to lift up a sword and to slaughter people. He came to love people. And yet Babylonness feeds this moment. Six, there's a worship of products. Babylon finds her identity in what she produces. So let me ask you, what have you bought from Babylon? 
What have you bought from the great prostitute? How is she imprinting herself on your life? And lastly, idolatry. I think the ultimate issue when we've opened the book of Revelation here, it comes down to this. You were created to worship. Who are you worshiping? Because if it's not Jesus, if it's not the lamb who was slain, who hung on a cross for the sins of the world, if it's anything else but him, you're in a spot today of idolatry. What have you lifted up more than God? That's idolatry because God is looking for the attention of you just for himself, not looking to share with other things and options and it's idolatry that we've become lost in. Last week, I shared a verse that I have to bring back today because it's been bugging me all week. And it says this in 1 John chapter um, 2, verse 15. It says, Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but they are from this world. And this world is fading away, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Today, I just want you to see this, because the call for all of us is that you are to live in the world. You're not to be of the world. Like, see this. I think that we have mistaken this in our world. We think that it's okay to be of the world and enjoy its pleasures and its things. And there's not a lot of wrong things with the world. There's a lot of good things, but there are things that Babylon has taken a hold of. And she encourages you. This, this great prostitute today says, listen, I want you to be of me. I want you to do this with me. But the Bible says you are to live in the world. Why? Because God has placed you in this world to love people, but he wants the separation of the world so that you will not become infiltrated, seduced, and lured by Babylon. I think for some of us today, it is time that we remove the Babylon-ness that has crept in over our lives. And perhaps today, you know that burning feel inside. You're like, I see this in me. And this is what I want to say to you. God loves you. He knows this is real. It happened with his people in the Bible. He knows it's going to happen with us in Victoria. He is literally saying, all you got to do is you got to come to me. One of the key themes that we have read in the book of Revelation so far is this key of repentance. The issue with repentance is that we say, God, okay, I identify this and I need to give it to you. But repentance means you turn 180 degrees and you go the other way. So today I'm asking you, in bed with Babylon? Are you in bed with Babylon? Are there things of Babylon-ness that have ravaged your soul? Because God is simply saying to you today, I love you, come back to me and repent. And I will see you through. Why? Because Jesus wins. But will you give him your heart? Let me pray for you. With all eyes closed across this room today, and even if you're online with us today, I'm going to ask a question because I want to pray with you. But I want you right now to just recall the list of seven. Has there been something Babylon-ness 
that is a part of your journey right now. And, and, and you are living more in the kingdom of the world versus the kingdom of God. Now, again, there's no shame here because that's not what God does. He says, okay, let's identify it. Let's change it. Let's address it. And so if you have noticed today that as I've been communicating that you've got some of the Babylon-ness in you and you're saying, Pastor, will you pray for me today? Would you just raise your hand right now? No one's looking around at you. And then you could throw your hand back down. Thank you. So many hands in this place today. You recognize. Let me pray for you today. Father, you, um, you asked us to have a, a, a mind that would ask for the understanding today. And so th- here's the deal. When we hear Babylon, it's a symbol. It's a symbol of this infiltration of evil and bad that has happened in our lives. And Father, the truth is most of us are guilty of this at some point in our lives. And, and today, with the raising of many hands, y- people are saying, yeah, that's me. I've got something here where Babylonness is a part of who I am. And the best part about you, God, is that you, you whisper to us, I love you and I'm here for you. And I pray that we would take that, that invitation today from you to repent and to turn from our ways and to get rid of Babylon in us. I pray that we would quit being a people who prostitute ourselves with the things of this world. And I pray that you will help us, God, to be a people who will repent, who will turn from our wicked ways and our sin. We'll allow you to do a deep work in us. You want to use our lives to be the light of the world. And so God, help us to be lights that shine bright, not to be dimmed by the Babylonness that exists in us. And I thank you that you're for me today and you're for our friends here in this place. And I ask that you help us. May we be a church of people who, in humility, will say we don't get it right all the time. We're a little messed up here and there. But you love us and you'll see us through. And so I pray that you will help us today. And with all eyes closed, the very first point that I made if Babylonness may exist in you would be that maybe you have removed God from the center. And if that is you today, where Jesus does not have the center of your life and you're saying, Sean, that's what I need. If that's you in this place, all you need to do is pray a simple prayer to him. Say, Jesus, I see that you died for me. I know that you love me. And I ask you to be the center of my life. Be the king that you need to be. And may my allegiance not be to anything else, anyone else but you. And if that's you today, all you do is you pray that to him. Forgive me, come into my life, and he will. And if you've prayed that prayer today, whether here in the room or online, I'm going to encourage you to text the word LIFE to 250-478-7113. And a pastor will be in touch with you about this journey. So Jesus, help us today, I pray. And give us a good week as we process these moments. Help us to live for your kingdom. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Let me say this last thing. Living in Babylon is a thing. And this fall... That is going to be a part of our brand new series of living in Babylon. How can we do this? Because guess what, folks? We're in Babylon.
and we're going to walk ourselves through it. But for us today, it's time to get out of bed with her. So I hope that you'll do that. If you are brand new to us today, thank you for taking some time to be here at College Church. Go and chat with Pastor Tyson and Josh and introduce yourself to them. And other than that, have a fantastic week, everybody. We hope to see you at movie night uh, Friday night. So bless you. We love you. And we'll see you next week.